Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome to On Texas Football. I'm Bobby Burton, your host. Uh, today, we have a very special guest with us. Uh, somebody that I first started reading, I guess, all the way back 30 some odd years ago when I was still in college. He was writing for the Dallas Morning News at the time. Uh, and uh, he is a, a guy that I've known for uh, quite a while and, and uh, been acquainted with. Uh, and someone that I think college football fans in general have known and has been a part of their lives uh, for all of that time as well. His name is Ivan Maisel. Ivan is the senior writer, college, a VP of editorial for On3. Uh, Ivan was once at the Dallas Morning News, which is when I first uh, started reading his stuff. Uh, he's also been at ESPN and was the first college football writer for ESPN.com back in the day. To just give you an idea of his uh, legacy and where what all he's seen during the days. He also helped produce uh, the ESPN uh, 150 series on college football. Ivan, welcome in, bud. Thanks, Bobby. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, well, uh, I, I would tell everybody here, but, you know, I told you, I said that you were kind of old, like I first started reading you in college. You're actually at your college reunion right now that's coming up this weekend at Stanford, huh? Yeah, sad to say. Sad, <laughs> sad to say it's number 40, but uh, I'd rather be here than, you know, not be eligible, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I get it. I get it. So, you know, every so often on this show, what I like to do is really bring in someone that I think can, can lend a uh, perspective that, that, you know, a respected perspective that not everybody can bring to the table. And you're someone that's certainly seen a lot in college football. Um, and I want to start with, in that regard, with, with realignment um, and, you know, where you see the most recent move as it relates to Texas in particular uh, and Oklahoma moving to the SEC and, and how you heard about that all coming about and, and what your general thoughts are. Well, I had gotten, I got a tip uh, from Austin that something was afoot. This was the uh, second Monday in July. And I was at SEC media days and I, uh, and I had time alone with Greg Sankey. And then I asked him about it and, and, what I appreciated is that Greg didn't just dismiss me or say it's not true. He just, he sort of sidestepped it. You know, he said, well, there's a lot of talk out there, uh, which I knew meant there was something to it, but I couldn't pin it down with any degree of journalistic comfort, uh, at least before uh, the Houston Chronicle did. So uh, as soon as that story broke, you know, I certainly knew, what I had been told was correct. And then it was, you know, my jaw dropped the way everybody else's did. Yeah. What do you think of this, this latest, you know, you've seen all the mega moves through the years from the creation of the big 12 or the addition of Arkansas to the sec. I mean, you, you've seen and been a part of all of that. Like, what, what are your thoughts of this, this latest move? I think it is like all the other moves. It is a great move financially for Texas and Oklahoma. I think competitively it's going to, I think it'll hurt Texas, uh, at least in football. Uh, you know, Texas is 
the reigning holder of the director's cup. So I think they know their way around an athletic field overall. And Oklahoma is comprehensively very good as well. I think in that sense, there'll be a fit. We judge so much of this rightly or wrongly by football. And, you know, Texas is not at the level of the top teams in the SEC. It hasn't been at the level of the top of the big 12, you know, and now it's stepping up a grade. So uh, I, you know, there's all kind of examples out there, Bobby. Uh, Penn State seamlessly moved into the Big Ten. Nebraska still hasn't gotten its footing in the Big Ten. And, and competitively, it was a bad move for Nebraska, or has been so far. It also, they lost all of their uh, traditional rivals. You know, Texas at least comes into the league, you know, to rejoin A&M and Arkansas in terms of annual rivals. And, and OU rejoins you know they don't have as long a history with AM, but they have a history and and they're you know border neighbors with arkansas so that's you know that's going to set up quite nicely for them uh so I, you know i think it'll be okay uh i'm real curious to see how texas handles being one of 16 rather than the king of 12 or 10, ten, yeah, 10 or eight, you know, <laughs> if you go back far enough, you know, yeah. so, uh, you know, but they knew what they were, you know, that's the decision they made and you have to expect they'll live up to being a, an equal partner. Yeah. I think uh, Kevin Eltife, the chair of the board of regents uh, at Texas is, is got uh, designs on making Texas competitive period in all sports, uh, no matter, you know, whether it's on the football field or wherever, but, you know, that the proof is only in the pudding, as you would say. And you have to find out if they if they can or, or can't compete and whether Steve Sarkeesian and his staff are up for the up for the task. You know, you, you look at this, though, and, and not necessarily just Texas specific, but college football generally. It's almost like it's the axis versus the allies. Right. <laughs> to give a World War Two analogy. I mean, it's, it's like the SEC versus everybody else right now. Right. Um, the other four lar- or the other three large conferences, I guess, kind of created a uh, tentative agreement of sorts or a letter of understanding, for lack of a better term. Um, Whatever for, that means. Yeah, yeah exactly. It, yeah. Only to combat the SEC's um, overwhelming, you know, drive to run college football. It, you know, is this bad for college football? Is it good for college football? Is it just the nature of course? I, th- I think it's, it's just, uh, I don't think they, I think the answer is nobody knows. You know, the alliance, if you ask the three commissioners in the alliance, what's the purpose of the alliance, you'll probably get four different answers. You know, they don't really know. They just felt like they, you know, it was, it was a knee-jerk response to the SEC's announcement. Uh, I, I don't think the SEC has designs on running the world, but I think Greg Sankey is a smart businessman and uh, he sees the opportunity and it was, you know, and the, the definitive history of who made the first call and what is, is waiting to be written. You know, his version is Texas and Oklahoma called him and said, Hey, we like what y'all are doing. Can we join? And if that's the truth, then, then clearly the SEC doesn't have designs. Uh, why the ACC, Big 12, and Pac-12 feel the need to band together as a single voice to 
uh, either complement or oppose the SEC, they've never really been able to answer, uh, at least honestly or openly, uh, with any degree of, you know, the, that I understood. Uh, there's nothing that can get past the SEC. The SEC can pass no rules that those other guys won't approve. So I don't really understand what their purpose was. Yeah, I, I think that's the question, right? Is it's they don't know. I, I think part of it is the Big Ten in particular, right? And, and somewhat the Pac-12. They didn't know what the next move for the SEC would be. I mean, are they going to try to expand even further? Some people thought that that even might be on the on the docket at some level. But I mean, I feel like um, college football and college sports in general is at this. Uh, unique moment in time uh, where you're getting ready to see, uh, you know, rights go back up for sale uh, or back on the, on the market. You're going to see all of these guys try to um, push their cards to the middle to see exactly what they can leverage out of it. And I think that, that it, as much as anything, it was a way for those commissioners to speak up and not be leveraged out of the discussion. Right. I mean, I, I look at the Pac-12 uh, right now and, you know, it, it is a, a conference that, you know, even though as you're sitting on the Stanford campus right now, they have some real issues. Um, yes. And, I, I, you know, how much different are they than what's remaining of the Big 12 if USC were somehow to get uh, some kind of interest level and in going elsewhere, right? I mean, now I, I can't see that because it's it's – like it's like the linchpin of the con or one of the linchpins of the conference. But my, my question is, is really, you know, what is the leverage that those, those conferences have, or do, are they just trying to survive and get the best deal they can at the next, at the next road stop? You know I mean? Is, is that kind of the idea? Yeah. I, I think it was a, the Alliance was born out of panic, not, not, the, you know, any sort of business sense. And it doesn't, it, it could quietly go away. It could turn into something, but, uh, you know, I felt like they, you know, they needed to express some form of solidarity uh, and, and stabilize one another. You know, the, the PAC 12 has new leadership. The big 10 has relatively new leadership. The ACC has new leadership. I think part of, you know, that all had a lot to do with it as well. But you're right about the Pac-12. You know, one thing I think that's been overlooked in, in discussing its issues, I mean, and, and, you know, to I don't want to relitigate how they have fallen behind in, in the television market. We all know that. But what we all forget is that it's tough to be a viable college football presence in an NFL market. And you got a lot of NFL markets in the Pac-12. You know, USC and UCLA have always done well. But the last, what, 20 years, they didn't have to do it with the NFL in L.A. And now there are two teams in L.A. You know, Stanford and Cal struggle in this market. Uh, UW does pretty well in Seattle, does very well in Seattle. Colorado struggles in Denver. You know, the ASU does well in, in, in you know, the Valley. So... Uh, but none of it, it, it's it's not inc incredibly stable ground, and uh, that's just one more thing they've got to to deal with. 
Yeah. Um, so you think the SEC and Big Ten are, are positioned best long term? I would imagine for health sure. conference, yeah. right? And then and then ACC and then Pac twelve and then Big Big Twelve probably after that. Or is that kind of pecking? Not 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 necessarily for because teams come and go. I mean, yeah. good teams can come from anywhere. I think you and I agree with that. Look at Cincinnati right now. I mean, they're a good ball club. So. But the, the question is, is that that overall and the, the resources and that sort of thing are kind of that's the pecking order of the conferences at this point. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I think the SEC and the Big Ten are on a shelf above the other three. And I'm concerned about the Big 12. I wrote a column to that effect last month and got skewered by everybody in the Big 12 for writing it. Or by the fan bases anyway. But... My point is the schools that are remaining, you have no one in any regional area that is the top program in that area, with the exception of the, the two Kansas schools. Uh, you know, Iowa State is second to Iowa, I think it's fair to say. Uh, Oak State, second to OU. You know, you, Baylor and Texas Tech. Uh, I, and I, I did leave out West Virginia. They're number one in their market, you know, but. Those are not big markets, and and BYU, uh, you know, I, I I'll grant you has a bigger footprint than the state of Utah. I, I didn't say that in my column, and and I should have, but uh, that's concerning to me. You know that I, I don't know that the Big Twelve going forward is I don't know how it stays at the level of those other four conferences for that reason alone. Yeah, money-wise, they just – I don't think they can unless they get private donations. I mean, um, th- I want to say this real quick. So, I, you know, I, I admire you not only as a person with great knowledge, Ivan, and I think a lot of people will, will agree with this. I think you're a great writer, uh, independent Thank of you. your sports uh, uh, pedigree and, and knowledge. Uh, you've written a book that I want to promote a little bit for you, and it's called I Keep Trying to Catch His Eye. And it's, uh, it's about your son. Uh, yes. And it comes out next week. Uh, and you wrote this and, and uh, it's uh, you told me about it probably a, almost a year ago now and said that you were really you know trying to finish it up and and uh, thinking deep about it and uh, tell people a little bit about it so, so they can maybe catch it next week on on sale at Amazon or wherever you might get books, I guess. Right. Well, it's it's already a, you can pre-order it at Amazon, but you can buy it, you know, wherever you buy books. And, you know, I I encourage people if they like independent bookstores to buy it there, but obviously I'd love for them to buy it. It's published by Hachette, publication date, October 26th. And the book is, uh, our son Max died in February, 2015. He ended his life. He was a 21 year old junior in college. We knew he was struggling. We didn't know the degree, the to degree to which he was struggling and, and he began to spiral and he was away at school. And uh, so I wrote about him and I wrote about my relationship with him. And, and also Bobby, I really wrote about grief and, 
and, and grieving. I think we as Americans are scared to death of grief. I certainly was. And if I, I wanted to try to explain what it, what I went through to help people understand it so that maybe they won't be scared of it. Because if you live long enough, you are going to deal with grief. It's just, it's part of life. And uh, I, you know, I had to deal with it suddenly and, and prematurely to say the least. And, you know, it was terrible, but I began to figure out how to keep going. Uh, mainly to me, the thought that my grief for Max equaled my love for Max and that my grief was really just the form uh, that my love for him took after he died. And, and that helped me a lot. You know, everybody grieves differently, but uh, that's the really the premise of, of what the message I wanted to convey is and why I wrote the book. You're, you're doing a book tour. I know I'm, I'm going, I've already bought my tickets for the book tour here in town. Um, you know, I, I, I think that, and so I'll see you then next, I think in person, the, the, the thing that that uh, I think is is interesting is that it you know we in college football and in media we're all people right and so we all have these personal stories that intertwine with with uh, what we do and and how we uh, approach life and 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 deal with things so I think it's awesome that you stepped out there and and, and uh, are willing to share that uh, of yourself with others so I hope I, I wish you best success with that and, uh, I appreciate that. Um, Going on, going back to, to college football, Ivan, you know, we're talking about allied versus the <laughs> axis and all of this stuff. Do you think we need a plain old college football czar? I think the sport would benefit from one, but I also think it's not going to happen anytime soon because in order for it to happen, the commissioners would have to cede power the conferences would have to cede power to a central office. And, you know, I don't know if you've noticed this, Bobby, people are not really happy about giving up power in, in any field. You know, it's certainly been true in college athletics. It's true in everything. You know, people want to control. And they. Uh, I, that's why I just don't see it happen. You know, the system we have, it's never been a national sport. Uh, in terms of the way it is administered. And it's only recent, it's only since the Supreme Court ruling in the 80s that college football became a national sport. You know, Notre Dame was a national team, but everybody else was regional. And now everybody's national and everybody's on TV every week. And we have a national playoff. Uh, but the sport is still run uh, locally. And I just don't see that changing. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think that I, I, do, I can't imagine there being a national sport unless there's some sort of unionization among players that requires um, uh, schools and colleges to react to that in a in a different manner. Right. And even then, I don't know if that would carry the weight of of making everybody change. You know, um, you, you did the, the ESPN uh, series of, you know, the the years in football stuff. And I, uh, I, I watched all of them, loved them. I thought they were great. Congrats on that. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, what, they were fun. Yeah. 
from a, I, I've got to ask you, I'm a recruiting nut, as you know, that's how I first got to know you way back in the day is what was your favorite recruiting story that you heard on that, in that series that you remember uncovering or listening to kind of? Oh, I, I think it's, it's the story of Barry Switzer calling uh, Billy Sims at the gas station in Hooks, Texas at halftime of a game, you know, <laughs> uh, and, and telling him that, you know, they needed him and, and, you know, that, uh, and to hear both of them tell the story is delightful. Uh, you know, and Barry's a great storyteller, but Billy was funny about it too. And, and that's, you don't get that in any other sport. Yeah. I, I think it's awesome. He, he uh, uh, the thing about, uh, about recruiting is that it, it involves, like I remember reading the courting of Marcus Dupree, uh, sure, way back book. in the day. Uh, I, I mean, I, I was, I was young at that time to be, to be fair. And, and uh, I think it's always captured uh, the essence kind of a college football where hope always springs eternal. Right. Um, you've been around the, and one last question, you've been around to a bunch of games this year, uh, seen a bunch of, bunch of teams. Who's the best team you've seen thus far in person? Georgia, and it's not even close, and it scares me a little bit because I can remember six years ago prematurely awarding the Heisman Trophy to Leonard Fournette, you know, so uh, based on the first half of the season. But I, I, I just think defense never goes out of style, you know, and the Georgia defense is different. It's, it's different from anybody else and what they're doing this year. Uh, if you've, you know, if you've got the best defensive line or the best defensive front in college football, you're going to go a long way. Special teams are really good. And, and the offense has been, uh, has been good. It's been fine. You know, Stetson Bennett's done a nice job stepping in for JT Daniels and, and they're only going to get healthier according to Kirby smart. And if they do, then they're, you know, like everybody else, they're going to get better. So I think they're really good. Weeks, any weak spot for them, in your opinion? Well, the uh, the kicker missed the last extra point Saturday against Kentucky. You know, which was the first one they had missed in seven years. So I, <laughs> I, I think that's that was clearly, uh, I you know I haven't seen it yet, uh, and the schedule has not lend itself to exposing any weak spots. You know, Tennessee is better than we all thought. Florida is not as good as we all thought. Uh, you know, so I, I just, uh, I think we're going to have to wait until Atlanta on December 4th and, and see if Alabama's, uh, you know, can pull it off. Gotcha. Who's going to get the USC job? Any thoughts or, or the L and the LSU one now? Well, I, I think James Franklin will get one of them. Uh, I think he'll probably you know, if I had to say right now on October 20th, I'd say James Franklin will be at SC. And, you know, I like Billy Napier for the, for the LSU job. I just don't know if that's going to – Steve Woodward likes to win the press conference, you know, and, and I don't know if that – you know, in Louisiana, that might be enough, you know, that who Billy Napier is and, and what he's accomplished. But uh, – yeah, the, I, I'm kind of intrigued by him. Yeah, I, I think Napier is a solid football coach and a solid. I mean, he's a guy, he's a program guy that builds it up and keeps it. Ivan, you're you're awesome, man. Uh, I appreciate you. 
I'll continue reading your daily uh, on uh, on three uh, and uh, have fun at your 40th reunion. I know that. <laughs> I'm, I'm rubbing that in, Ivan. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, I, I could tell. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, Bobby. I enjoyed it. And we should, we should do this more often. Absolutely, dude. You take care of yourself. I'll see you soon. All right. That was Ivan Maisel uh, for On Texas Football. I'm Bobby Burton. Please, uh, if you enjoyed this video, subscribe to it. Uh, and we'll see you again soon. Take care now. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.